Welcome to Power Up Your Practice, the go-to podcast for law firm owners and managing attorneys working on the business, not in it. I'm Ruby Powers, your guide into the heart of law practice management, bringing you insights from leading legal minds, trailblazing attorneys, and expert guests who provide you with an actionable perspective on running your firm more effectively and efficiently. Prepare to open your mind, be inspired, and power up your practice to the next level. Hi, everyone. It's great to be here. Uh, my name is Ruby Powers, and I'm your companion through this ever-evolving landscape of legal practice. And on each episode, we're going to hear about our guest superpowers and their perspectives on reaching success and just learn about their journey and see what we can take from that to, to help along on our journey as well. So, you know, no need to reinvent the wheel, um, but we can find a way to, to improve upon it for ourselves and personalize it. So, Greg Siskin, um, thank you so much for being here. Um, I, you, okay. So I don't remember when we actually met, met, but I do remember we were on a panel like a long, long time ago. It might've been a long time ago. (laughs) It might've been like, I don't know, 12 or something years ago. And it was about marketing and, um, and something in the panel, you said, well, you could always just write the book on it. And, um, that just on the topic and, you know, become a a thought leader and expert. And that always resonated with me because then about a decade or so later, some years later, I wrote a book on law practice management. A very good book. So I want to say thank you again for for planting that seed. Um, but I mean, your, your bio is very impressive and it's really funny because you could be, we could talk about you as an immigration attorney. We could talk about you as a, a thought leader in, in AI, um, in marketing, um, as an author. So I don't know which way you want me to, how do you shorten your bio? But, um, <laughs> and then you created visalaw.com back in 1994. So you, you know, you've, you're a visionary and you've always been, um, thinking about the future which I really love talking with you and you're constantly learning. So um, I'll let you uh, mention anything else more you want to highlight about your bio because I think you're very impressive. So, um, Well, I've been a, uh, you know, it's always been sort of a tension between sort of going along the path that um, was the uh, was was the sort of the conventional path or the ones that initially where my parents were pushing me along the way or my peers were versus things that you know where I eventually would realize that I wanted something different and then I had to make decisions on how to pivot. So it's been over the years kind of those pivots that have been and, and taking advantage of the opportunities of the moment um, to really uh, be able to um, take advantage of early on in my career. You know, I went to a uh, a fancy law school, and then I was like most of my classmates. Everybody was tracking into big law or big judicial clerkships, um, and I did all that, that at the beginning, thoroughly not enjoying uh, that. I was like thinking, like, how do I get out of law? How do I do something completely different? I made a big mistake. Um, and then when I figured out was that uh, you know I gave it some time and found something I really liked. Uh, which was immigration at, by accident at the large firm I was at. And then I had to pivot, figure out how to pivot to being able to do that as my career, which is the one area of law I really loved. And not that others aren't good, but it was the one I knew was for me uh, at a firm that made it very clear to me that they didn't want that to be uh, a practice area for them. And they wanted me to stick to the uh, the business uh, 
the, the business model that I was doing. So that was, you know, you mentioned the visalaw.com and the sort of like being in the right place at the right time and taking advantage of what's out there. And at the time, I saw the internet changing the way lawyers would practice. And the uh, I didn't consider myself sort of a techie growing up. Um, I didn't. I didn't have a computer until I was an adult. I didn't take. Uh, I didn't take programming or anything like that. Like you know that, that uh, in high school, that was just starting when I was uh, when I was in school. Um, but I really kind of like embraced it more for as a tool from a marketing perspective of what it could do. And then eventually started to really appreciate it in a lot of other ways. But that was uh, that was a big pivot. Um, you know, one was trying to figure out, okay, I'm an immigration lawyer in this small city that doesn't have a lot of immigration work. Uh, the internet might be helpful for that, but what can I, how do I actually like, you know, hone in and make a decent living? I'm not in Silicon Valley. I can't get, uh, all these tech clients. I'm not in New York where, you know, there, there's just a huge number of immigrants there. And that was one, again, where I kind of looked around for opportunity and realized I was in Nashville, which everybody's going to assume it was music immigration. It wasn't music, actually, <laughs> healthcare. Um, the Most of the, well, not most, but a lot of the largest hospital systems in the country are headquartered in Nashville. And that was an area that I uh, could network and build a practice for physician immigration there and took advantage of that. Um, you know, later later on over the years, there were sort of similar things to that. In in the mid, uh, well, I guess 2015, I got really interested in what was happening in the AI space and decided that um, we could start to build. I mean, over the years, as you mentioned already, a big theme for me has been writing. Um, and I've written, I don't know. Seven, seven or eight books plus multiple editions of most most of those books. I had a um, so that was the one thing I liked was things that were involved writing. And what I realized was that uh, in software it's not that different um, than writing. And what I wanted to do of expert systems, which were basically books built into written into soft uh, books written into software that uh, or you know or articles written in software that would help people evaluate how the law applies to them or a lawyer figure out how a law applies to a situation and basically use AI to help to guide you to the answer or to a document help you build a document or that so we started building then we, so we took advantage of you know the, these tools that were coming in AI at that time because the big revolution in 2015, 2016, were the development of no-code uh, AI, where you could, you didn't have to be, you, you didn't have to have a, a team of programmers to be able to develop uh, web applications to help, uh, you know, build out these eligibility advisors or these drafting tools, and that's where I got started in the software space, um, and that has obviously changed in the last year and a half with um, with OpenAI and the uh, really the rapid development of generative AI. And that is our, our companies again pivoted in a big way into that space. And that's where I'm spending most of my energy now. So before we go a little bit more into that, uh, it seems like there's an analogy here, like a, like right before the, the internet became really 
big, you, you saw the, you saw the tea leaves, you saw the future and you, you got, you had the website and you, you wanted to pivot. And then now you're, you've been paying attention to AI for a while and you're, you're, you're not just, you're, you're like really being innovative in this space. Um, but just but before we go into more in AI, like what made you decide to be an author? Cause like, that's not like, it takes a lot of energy and time and you like a a lot of law practice management people are trying to run their law firm, and you're like a, a partner of a big law firm. You know? Yeah, so I was I started writing well before I was a partner at a big law firm. Actually, when I was in law school, it it, um, it, it started basically with a uh, with with an article. Um, I had a uh, in, in law school. I was doing an independent study. Um, with, uh, with, and it was, I didn't realize it was on an immigration topic, even though it was, it was about the integration of the European legal profession. And I wrote this big paper for this, uh, these three credit hours with, um, a, a professor who was really influential, uh, on me. And she said, you know, this is a, this is really good. You should consider getting this published. But I was finishing law school when I, this was my last semester of law school. So she said, just send it to journals. Um, and you'll see. So I ended up uh, sending this article to uh, the ABA section on international law, and they have a journal called The International Lawyer, um, and they published it, and it was the first thing I ever had published, and I was super excited about that. But what was kind of nice was that um, it was – I didn't tell anybody at the big law firm I was work, you know, working at that I had written this thing, uh, and then it got published, and then a partner actually saw this thing land on his desk and was just reading – the table of contents on there and saw the first year associate uh, had this article in the journal he gets. And he was super encouraging and said, you, you know, you really should try and figure out more opportunities for writing. Well, anyway, as it turns out, I got, so I was, I said I was in the corporate section of my firm, but I was also being shared with the environmental law section. And I got assigned to this project where I was with another lawyer and we were supposed to do this 50 state survey of medical waste law, which is super not interesting. Um, and, but it was a hot time for that subject um, because you're too young, but there were all these beaten beach needles washing up on beaches oh. and all this. And there was like a, the AIDS epidemic and there was all this fear about, uh, about medical waste. And so all these new were passing all over the country and there was nothing written on it. So, the uh, other the other lawyer who uh, I was working on this with, who was just a year ahead of me, was very entrepreneurial. Learned a lot from this guy, and he just managed. He just reached out to uh, Thomson Reuters or the company that preceded them, I guess, uh, and said, "We do you want a book on medical waste law? We have already done all the research uh, for. We hadn't done all the research, but we were well into it, um, and." I, that book was a big hit. I got a lot of money uh, in royalties, and it was enough to finance my starting a law practice in immigration, which is really what I wanted to do. But I just sort of knew that learned the power of a book from that first environmental law book. And then the next thing I did was uh, after the firm opened and I uh, set up this website, which was also at the time there was very little written about it and not a lot of lawyers were curious about it. Um, I learned from the lawyer in the first case where... I just reached out to the ABA blindly and said, "Hey, you guys want a book on internet marketing? I've, uh, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm an expert on that subject now. Not really, just basically having, <laughs> having done it. But I, uh, 
Yeah. They, they, they took a, they, right. They took a chance on me at ABA and for, I'm grateful for that. And I wrote that book and it was a big, big seller for the ABA and I got a lot of speaking opportunities and it really, uh, you know, led to that. And then, then finally, the next thing I did was a book for Lexus on uh, physician immigration. And that was the first one substantively actually about immigration law, which is what I was trying to build. But each book served a purpose. Um, the first one was sort of one that escape from my law firm um, and <laughs> help finance that. The second one was to uh, give me some, uh, no, you know, notoriety, hopefully in the bar as a legal tech expert, which would serve me well over the years. And then the last uh, of the, those initial ones, I think it was 97, uh, this book came out with Lexus that was designed to help me. I didn't have any doctors as clients in 1997. I wanted to. I thought that would be a great area to get into. So I had a, uh, I, I had a, uh, I had that book help me, um, you know, to basically establish some my name in that uh, in that area. So that's uh, that's that's that. So it seems like it's not just about being at the right place at the right time, but it's like taking hold of that opportunity, having the gumption. Because like some people would be like, "What does this have to do with what?" You know, I'm going to stay in my lane. You know, <laughs> and like you're you. We call it as an opportunity. And so that's. Yeah. I mean, I sort of like was, I mean, it was like just trying to figure out like, where do I want my practice to grow? What's, how strategically would a book help me get there? Mm -hmm. uh, Is the way I looked at it as opposed to just sort of writing something because it's interesting, but it doesn't actually have any, uh, you know, you can't really figure out what it's going, where it's going to take you that you're not already getting. Yeah. And, and depending on the book and the volume and your audience, like people, you don't, authors don't usually make a, a lot of money off of the book. I mean, it depends. It could, you could, but there's like the sort of like the becoming a thought leader, ancillary services and, and, you know, just other opportunities that, that come from that. Um, yeah, so that's, it's, it's hard to make a lot of money on a book that's aimed at lawyers. There's just a, there's a lot of competition in the space and, you can't, um, I mean, you can, in theory, make an okay amount of money, especially if you negotiate well and you have a, uh, and maybe publish yourself or publish it, you know, there are things you can do to try and increase. I think most of the time people that are writing books have to, you know, kind of weigh whether there are non-financial or indirect financial benefits, I should say, um, to that. And, you know, that's a uh, that, that's the trade-off on there, but it's a and a lot's changed in the publishing industry, as you know, in the last you know. So the economics have really changed. Where you know, when I was starting out, you didn't really have a choice; you had to find a publisher. Right. There were self-published books, but they were horrible, uh, and they had a they had a well. First of all, they had a bad reputation as far as the quality goes of the writers. Uh, and then the you know the quality of the prints and everything was terrible. Obviously, with ebooks and audiobooks and uh, and print on demand and a lot of things that have changed over the years, um, you can uh, you can do a lot yourself. And I, in fact, after doing books with four different publishers, um, I've started and, and I chaired the ABA practice management program uh, on a volunteer basis for uh, when I was with the ABA. Um, that was a, uh, but it taught me a lot about publishing. And then that's how I ended up setting up my own publishing operation. The last four books. Well, my last four books until the Ayla cookbook were all with, uh, with, with Allen house, which, uh, 
is the uh, is the publishing house we created. Awesome. So you and you have a lot of experience. Um, I'm I'm currently on the published book publishing committee with ABA Law Practice Division, and I've published with ALA before. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot you learned from having multiple books. So um, yeah. you're a great resource. Yeah. So let's move to uh, to AI. Um, you're you're every time I get some time to talk with you, you're just telling me some new and awesome crazy project that you're working on and um and, and there are different stages of the project so for th this will be coming out soon but for and i know your programs you're well i don't want to steal the show for you so like what where do you what are you up to right now <laughs> so we are putting the final touches uh in beta on a um two products um one aimed at immigration lawyers and one aimed at the rest of the bar the one aimed at immigration lawyers is through our VisaLaw.ai uh, brand, and that is uh, the, pro the actual uh, immigration law product is called Gen, G-E-N, and it is a it has a combination of different kinds of it's a suite of AI tools for immigration lawyers and for you don't have to be an immigration lawyer for most of it, but there's a legal research product uh, component to it, so. Um, you may have heard about uh, other companies out there in this space, like um, Case Text has a product called CoCounsel, and there's uh, FastCase has a legal research product, and West and Lexus all have it. Um, we've developed one that's focused on immigration law, and we have been uh, collaborating um, with the American Immigration Lawyers Association, uh, and the product that's in beta right now. Um, is uh, one that has mm, a, not all, but a very sizable portion of the ALA books. I don't know if yours is in there, uh, but if it's not, I should talk about that. Um, but the uh, so there's like 15 ALA immigration law books from ALA, yeah. and then all the Allen House books that uh, my publishing house has will be in there, uh, and then all the primary law. Um, basically, and in, we're tons of stuff that we found in uh, uh, in, in different places, some from uh, um, nonprofits, some from uh, government websites. But there's a um, the idea is that you add, it's an answer bot. So you ask the questions that come up every day in your practice. Uh, you ask it the same way, like we're all on listservs and Facebook groups and uh, you know, in the, in, in the usual places or knocking on the, the doors of the lawyers on the, down the hall from us. Um, but the idea is that you ask the questions and uh, it has a large library, you know, probably 100,000 pages of materials. Um, and it provides an answer. Uh, and it also, more importantly, provides citations. Um, so, you know, uh, it's if the answers are usually pretty good, but even if they're not, you can get the, uh, the, the citations are a blurb that quotes from the source material, uh, as well as a link back to that material. So you can look for yourself to see what was said. Um, you know, and importantly, um, you know, with these tools, the, uh, the, 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 it's only coming up with answers to these immigration law questions from the materials themselves. So it's not combing the internet looking, you know, for, for stuff. And that's, that's, so the, the three ways basically that we get the product to give you the best answers, because there have been some notorious examples of bad, uh, of, of 
gotten in trouble. Even uh, this was coming not coming out today, but in the last, you know, over the uh, Christmas season, there was a headline story in the New York Times about Michael Cohen, Trump, Donald Trump's lawyer, getting into okay. trouble uh, because he uh, he did legal research with his law. He's not, I think he's been disbarred, but um, his uh, they were submitting false case citations and some legal briefs that they had gotten on ChatGPT. That's happened several times already. But what we do to prevent that is one, the uh, it's the the questions themselves are only searching for or only compiling answers based on the research materials themselves. It's not going to places that you you know that, that you don't know where the answers are coming from. Two is we use a setting called temperature. Um, temperature in generative AI is basic. All generative AI is doing is guessing the next word. It's really good at guessing the next word that it thinks based on your question because it's been the language models have been built on millions and millions and millions of documents on there. So it's pretty good at figuring out and interpreting what you're asking, guessing how to answer based on all that training that it's had. And the um, so we set the temperature to zero, which is the most conservative uh, level that you can have. And that means the words have to be closer together. OpenAI and ChatGPT uses a seven, and this is on a scale of zero to 10. So it's designed to be more creative uh, and give you those really cool answers and really interesting answers uh, that if you that it's become really well liked for. Uh, if they give you really boring answers every time, probably people wouldn't be using it nearly as much for a lot of the personal stuff that people are using it for. But that's the default setting in, in there. So we've so we have affected the the answers to be a lot more sticking to the actual, um, you know, not not venturing too far from what was asked by setting the temperature really low. So it means that when it's looking for answers to questions, it's only looking at documents where words were really close together um, so that it's more likely that the subject that you're asking about is being covered and, the, you know, the material that's being cited is much more likely to, to close in. And the third thing I mentioned were citations. So, uh, you know, I tell people, a lot. It's like you can't escape being the lawyer. You cannot outsource to generative AI your role as the lawyer. You still ultimately are responsible for checking. And it's the same way if you like assigned a research task to a you know paralegal or a law clerk or somebody else. It's ultimately your responsibility to uh, do some diligence uh, on there. So you know if you get a legal research memo from a junior law clerk. You want, you want them to give you, first of all, give you the citations, but actually copy the cases and attach them to the memo that they're giving you so that you can kind of flip through and see if they were like completely off base or not. But that's it's the same idea with, uh, with generative AI, which is that you need to be doing the double checking on there. And we've made that a lot easier for people. So that's legal research. The tool also has a um, something that we call document Q&A, where you can upload any of your own stuff. Uh, and be able to do all kinds yeah. of things for it. So if you want to upload a request for evidence uh, that you got in a case and have it analyze the issues in there and make suggested arguments, it can do that. Uh, if you um, did a Freedom of Information Act request and you want to get back and questions about what you're seeing in there, um, you can do that. You can, uh, you know, you can upload your own research and ask questions on that. But so that's something that uh, for a lot of firms, Oh, and also you can upload documents and you know that you think are good templates for uh, and instead of having to go through complicated and you know assembly software to try to turn things into templates, you can just say like 
you know, here's a document. This is the template I want to use. Here's the facts on my particular case. Um, can you put together a document that is uh, following along this, uh, you know, the the format for this uh, in this template, uh, changing the changing it up to be, uh, you know, for these particular facts, and it can do that. So that's document Q and A. It also has something called private GPT, which is uh, another issue with with uh, OpenAI is that you're you can't use it ethically as a lawyer in a lot of cases with putting client information in. If you put it's the you're training the the language model, and also there are human beings that periodically do quality control checks with OpenAI, and it's a problem as far as as a lawyer using it in any way that might expose client information. We have a solution on that which allows us to you to use ChatGPT and have this you know the great you know the temperature settings and have the uh, and do all the controls of it, but using combing the entire internet for the answers as opposed to our now you know our immigration library, um, but none of the information is shared back with OpenAI. And then the last thing we do is we have a summary and translation tool where you can upload a document. Um, Maybe you have, you know, if, if you have uh, uh, doing some demos where I'll upload like a new regulation that comes out your pages and you can have it create a summary for you that's, you know, one page, 10 pages, whatever kind of setting you decide you want as far as how compressed you want the summary to be and do it in nice bullet points and make it your life a lot easier by not having to necessarily read through a huge document. Uh, you can also take a foreign language document and have it summarized in English or just give you a straight translation uh, into the language um, that uh, from, you know, from the original language to English. So it has that capability as well. Um, and that's that's what Jen's doing. And then we have the new product that's uh, sandbox.legal is the twin, which is basically most of the same features, but it doesn't have the immigration library. Um, and we are working on getting um, other kinds of materials in there, but uh, it's it's more like these other resources for lawyers without the immigration part on there, because most of it is perfectly useful for any kind of lawyer. Uh, it's the law, immigration law library that makes it, you know, gen special for lawyer for immigration lawyers. But take out the immigration law library, and it's still a very useful product for lawyers. And that's what we're working on for the general legal market at a lower price point. Oh, awesome! Well, so basically, what you're Provide, going to be providing shortly is going to be a product that takes away a lot of that the the fear that a lot of attorneys have from all those people, like you're mentioning Michael Cohen and others who've had gotten in the headlines for for right. relying too much on a, a source or something like that. And I mean, you know, listening to like this last year of ChatGPT or AI conferences and presentations and everything, it seems like a lawyer, lawyers are in this like. Um, the ostrich with their head in the sand type of like, oh, there's too much in their fear and, you know, and they just want to like ignore it or something. But I mean, I, I think this is where we, we both think this is where things are going. Obviously you are dedicating so much you know of your time on this new program, this certain mm -hmm. services, but um, I mean, what's your take on, on AI and the practice of law? Like where do you see us going? Well, I think most lawyers are going to be using it. Most of most people sort of dip their toes in the waters a little bit just to see what it is and haven't really used it much in their practice. Um, I think part of the problem is they don't really know how to use it in their practice in a very practical way. Um, so, or they've been fearful because they've heard the horror stories about people who've gotten in trouble with it. 
Um, so I think there'll be a, uh, there'll, you know, what I think in the beginning with ChatGPT is sort of like this, just these big giant tools that have come out that are really good. But I think what we're going to start seeing in 2024 is the emergence of a lot of specialized tools that make it easier for you to use the generative AI in sort of small ways every day that you might not be thinking of. So um, that might be, um, you know, uh, drafting tools that are designed for specific practice areas. So, you know, if you have a, a particular kind of petition you're always working on, there might be a company out there that says, hey, use our AI tool and we can, we can you know, dramatically speed up how much time it takes to prepare that kind of petition. And then you just basically answer the questions and see a first draft of a particular document. And so the tools themselves, I think there'll be a lot of lawyers are not probably going to sort of be the tinkerers and try and come up with all these things. They're going to find, look for tools that are out there that are already pre-designed to solve a particular problem for them. Um, so, you know, like one thing that's an easy generative AI case that a lot of lawyers are using, don't even think of it as generative AI is, um, if you're in a zoom call, uh, where you have a, uh, you know, zoom for years has had transcription, uh, and it's, uh, and, and that's great where you basically can get a transcript of the whole meeting and that's, that's fine. And that's, that is a kind of AI, but that's not the kind of talking about um, but what they do that's cool now is that, um, you know, I use a product called read.ai, which plugs into Zoom. And at the end of the meeting, I get a bullet point summary of what was discussed in the meeting. It's able to figure out, you know, these insights to figure out who promised to do what in the meeting and what the follow-ups are supposed to be. Um, and it gives you kind of like, you know, all, all these 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 bonuses to make it you know hopefully a lot easier to do to to take that meeting off the other thing i like is that the sum with the summary is in a lot of cases i am delegating off to somebody in our firm um that's going to work on this and i can give them that uh that that uh you know the link to this and they can they can watch the recording of it if they want they can read the transcript if they want but they may just be happy just to see the bullet points uh on there and be able to jump into it a lot more quickly that's generative AI. A lot of people, a lot of lawyers are using those tools now. Zoom has it built in. And people, once it sort of becomes really kind of commonplace in your practice, you stop thinking of it as AI and you just think of it as a product yeah. uh, that it's doing. And I think that that's what's going to start to happen where there's just a lot of a lot of things we're going to be doing every day that we're not thinking of it. We don't think of spell check and grammar, you know, grammarly as AI. Uh, that's being applied to your documents. It's just basically, you know, just another another tool. And I think that that's so that that's I think where we're going is where a lot of people are going to be starting to use these tools and not even realize that they're using them. Um, and the ones that are sort of consciously going out and buying products, like the one that I was describing that we built on there, the the goal is to make the you know eventually we'll have a million pre-scripted prompts and all kinds of ways that people don't have to think too hard to figure out what to do with this thing that they have on their uh, desktop. Um, you know, that's for us, we're not, we're making the assumption that unless we sort of make it really easy for people to figure out what to do with the tool, um, they're not, they're not going to figure it out on their, on their own. Well, some might, but a lot of people won't and they need help conceptually what they should be doing with it for a lot of people it's just sort of like seeing short videos showing you can do this you can do this you can do that and that's the other way we're we're planning on approaching things with uh 
um, probably having a lot of live streams and probably having a lot of videos to show people what you can do with the tools. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I, I think I heard this quote a couple of years ago about like, and just sort of just like what, and sort of long idea of that you're, we don't really think of it as AI or special after a while once it starts getting encompassed in our software and in our programming, what we use. Um, but no, I, I agree. And I think that, I mean, my, my prediction is that a lot of the firms need to be looking at this and figuring out how to apply it and not be cutting costs on on like labor and being more efficient and having ways to to sort of have more quality control but anger that so what how do you who inspires you and um who who's like who, who do, you, do you sort of take for inspiration from well, Ruby Powers for one, but the uh, <laughs> um, no, no, I love your talks and your actually you do a lot of creative things that uh, I think people yeah I think too, um, but uh, you know there <laughs> it sounds corny, but I mean my father was a huge inspiration to me. He passed away at a uh, sixty-seven. He was still kind of in the prime of his career. Um, he was a marketing genius as far as I'm concerned. He had an advertising agency, but he just loved, loved, loved marketing. Um, and he's the one that made it uh, for me, you know, I think a lot of the interest that I've had over the years in law firm marketing, I got from him, but also on trying things that, I mean, he just loved it. When, when I was working on the website 30 years ago, and we, the website turns 30 uh, in June, um, you know, he was, it was just a lot of support. So that's, if you have somebody, it's really nice if you have somebody that's close to you that is giving you a lot of, uh, that, that, that seems to be as excited about what you're working on as you are. Um, yeah. so that, that, that helps. I mean, there's been tons of great people over the, over the years and a lot of people that, um, my law partner, Lynn Susser and, and some of my colleagues as well have also, I'd put in that category. So I don't know if there's one I would list except my dad. And I always, that my dad is actually Alan, who is the Allen house, uh, oh. Alan and Allen house. So that was my, uh, sort of, oh. he, was big, he was a big reader. And I knew that, uh, when, uh, when, after he passed away, that that was a good way to, uh, remember him. Oh, that's, I remember you shared that with me. That's, that's very, um, memorable. And, um, I was actually thinking about my mom because she, she brought, she brought the love of learning and reading to me. But when I was talking to you not too long ago, you, I found out like, how many books do you read a year? Cause I thought I read a lot, but I think. I always, yeah, I always tally up a log. It's actually a little bit less this year than I usually aim for. My resolution is always to do read 50 books in a year. Um, but uh, this year was around, around 40. Um, I is a, uh, I mean, I just basically, use every opportunity whether it's on a uh, at the gym on a, on a kindle or on a bike listening to an audio book or you know on airplanes wherever but the uh that's that is one thing for me is, uh, and i try to tell people don't just read business books on there don't just read things that are like good for you i like you know you need you need a break uh and that's part of work-life balance is finding a uh being able to turn off 
your everything and basically get engrossed in something, you know, science fiction or uh, whatever your thing, whatever your thing is uh, on there. But that's uh, so for me, that's that's part of sanity. Well, um, and so we like to ask everybody on the show, um, what's what do you think your superpower is, and how did you get it? Um, I think my superpower is probably being able to take complicated things and explain it to people who don't really want to hear it as far as like the complicated, whether it's like taking really complicated immigration concepts and being able to explain it to a client or taking, you know, complicated technology concepts and being able to explain it to lay lawyers on there. I think I'm better at that than a lot of other people who can't really, I think, uh, really kind of make their marks suitable for the audience that they're in front of. Um, and it's really important a lot of times, I think, in terms of people really wanting to listen to what you have to say uh, on there. If it's, a, I think it's sort of a, a matter of respect where you kind of take, meet the audience where they are rather than kind of like expecting them to get to where you want them to be. Uh, on there. That's a superpower, but that's something that I think I'm, I'm probably decent at. Yeah, that um, that's that's a really important skill because um, that's. I mean, we, I've heard I've heard that people say that before, and I I think you're right. And I think those like even professors and teachers who aren't able to to teach because they can't distill it down to somebody who's learning it for the first time, then they're not really doing their job. And um, part of our jobs um, as as lawyers and in marketing is to be able to to convey that imp- important information. Uh, so what we've talked about AI, we've talked about being innovative, marketing, um, and and the importance of reading and, and balance. And we talked a bit about that. But you know, what are any? Do you have any other closing thoughts or reflections on on those um, predominantly audience are those who are running a law firm, starting or like a partner manager, and um, are just trying to to, to, you know, improve their, their practice. Oh, nothing like a, uh, a really narrow question like that. Um, I guess that the, uh, well, first of all, I don't think I'm necessarily the best manager, uh, on there. That's the one thing is like, if you are not great at something, then mm-hmm. find somebody who is good. That's sort of like yeah. probably, probably the best advice. One of the things that I realized was like, I'm not the greatest when it can't comes to uh, HR management. I'm not the greatest when it comes to you know the financial side of uh, of business. Um, you know, I'm good at a lot of other things, but I've over the years have sort of like quickly realized you know w- realize what your weaknesses are. If you can correct them, great. If you can't, then find somebody else who can basically meet, you know, do that rather than just base, you know, rather than just doing a bad job at it. If you're not great, I mean, you can, if you don't have a choice, you have to obviously have to deal with managing people, but you know, if you, if you're, if you're, if you, if you are self-aware enough to recognize your weaknesses, then, you know, get out of the way and correct it with, and let other people basically, you know, do that. That's, I see that a lot of times where people just are in the wrong positions because they either 
their ego wants them to be in that position or they don't have a choice because they don't have anybody else that they can get to in it. But if you're in a position where you can recognize your weakness and then find somebody who can actually meet that need, that would be something really good. I think that, that was really sage advice. Uh, where can our listeners find you if they want to uh, connect with you or see what you're up to? Sure. So you can always find me on LinkedIn at G Siskind um, or on Twitter. I think it's the same. Uh, you can find me on my website at visalaw.com for the law firm side and visalaw.ai for the software company. And that should that should nail it and get you get you where you want. <laughs> yeah, you're you're very findable on on the internet, <laughs> Greg Siskin, <laughs> um, in in a good way. Um, so thank you so much for joining us uh, today. And um, I, you know, I'm always inspired. Love our conversations and check ins when we're at conferences and in between. And I just want to thank listeners for joining us for this um, insightful journey. I know I learned a, a few new things that I didn't know before and, and get re-inspired. So um, your time and engagement uh, means a lot. And if you've enjoyed this episode and want to continue the conversation, feel free to, we're inviting listeners to join the Power Up Your Practice Facebook group and keep powering up and stay connected. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Power Up Your Practice Law Practice Management Podcast. I'm your host, Ruby Powers, and it's been a pleasure sharing this time with you. Join us next week for another episode where we'll continue to explore insightful strategies for success. Power Up Your Practice with us. See you next time.